The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit Podcast. This may, in fact, be the quickest time from recording to release for any of our podcasts. And why is that? Well, we're going to talk about Blood Red Skies Digital tonight. I'm joined by my two other partners in crime who've been playing this digital game for a while, Steve and Brett. Steve, how are you doing tonight? Yeah, we're doing good. Hey, how about you? Not too bad. Trying not to freeze like all of you people up there at Ice Station Zebra. Brett, how are you doing down there in the lovely warm son of Florida. Oh, it's freezing today. It was like 61, I think. <laughs> 10 degrees below zero oh, for Florida. <laughs> Steve doesn't need to hear that. He just ruined his whole night. Thanks. Thanks, jerk. See if we invite you back to this podcast. Uh, it was, you know, 50 degrees here in Alabama, so it wasn't too bad. But anyway, we don't want to belabor everyone with the weather in America because some of our listeners are probably in Europe and at northern climates and they're miserable like Steve. So, hey, let's talk about uh, what we've seen uh, or what we're working on, first of all, because I'm not working on anything except like staring at my miniatures longingly every time I go to my storage unit. Brett, what about you? You apparently have been actually uh, looking at some Stalingrad HE-111s and some 109s. Yeah, I've mentioned it earlier, but uh, Kevin made up a sheet for me for the last three cargo aircraft to make it in and out of Potomac. And uh, they happen to be AT-111s. You know, they were using bombers and anything else they can get their hands on to deliver airland supplies into the pocket in Stalingrad. And uh, anyway, got the sheet. I've started painting some AT-111s, and I've got a whole squadron or a handful of uh, BF-109Gs as well, and I've painted them up for as specific aces that were in Stalingrad. And uh, Kevin has also made a... Uh, sheet just for that too. So I'm going to crack well, on that. In case people don't hate you enough, let's just clarify. You already have three HE-111s painted up and I can't remember if they are Mediterranean or Battle of Britain, but you already had those painted up because we played with those. And now you have three more that you're painting just as HE-111s that were used as transports? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to have all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Every single HE-111 ever that ever flew? Yes. Yes. You're a jerk. Uh, well, no, that's good that you're getting to do that. I mean, I'm actually glad that you're painting um, and doing some work while you're there in your new digs, waiting on the new house. Uh, I think like the majority of the lead pursuit team is moving. Steve, don't move. We need we need your new facility. Stay where it is. Oh no, I'm I'm not moving again. The next time I move, I'll either be into the uh, like old folks home or or the box in the ground. So this is, this is where I'm dying, man. <laughs> no more moving for you. Yeah, because between. Uh, Trevor moving, uh, you know, me and, and Steve moving. I think everybody's all undergoing the, the moving misery. Uh, so we'll... Uh, yeah, and we'll it's least... nice that I live far enough away from you guys. Nobody's asked to borrow my truck yet. So that's, a, yeah, that's exactly. always a plus. <laughs> yeah, I think my family's getting tired of that. Hey, man, can I borrow your big passport? Can I borrow your truck? Can I borrow your trailer? Yeah. Uh, or, or my favorite, hey, I'll be back in town on Thursday. Want to meet me at the storage unit? Yeah, no, nobody... Nobody figures that I'm inviting them over there to drink beer. They're like, yeah, he must have more crap he needs to move. So my family's on to me for that one. 
Well, we've uh, seen a couple other things in the discussions in the ready room, and, and I know that nobody's listening to this episode to hear us talk about what's going on in the ready room or to talk about what Brett is painting. Uh, but I don't want people to feel like we're not paying attention to what's going on. We've seen some interesting ideas for acrylic templates. We've seen a little discussion of, you know, how to make some either wingman effect templates or firing arc templates, uh, outmaneuver templates, all kinds of cool things like that. We will talk about that more in detail in a future episode because I get the feeling that there's all this pressure from the Internet to talk about Blood Red Skies Digital. What is this Blood Red Skies Digital thing anyway? So, so let me set the stage for what we've been doing. Steve, Brett, and I and some other miscreants in the UK who we won't talk about, but I'm sure you know, have been working with Warlord Games, with Andy Chambers, and with a company called Diecast Digital to test a very early prototype, as, as the term goes, a pre-alpha prototype of a digital version of Blood Red Skies. Is it complete? No. Is it going to Kickstarter? Yes. When? Oh, sometime at the end of February. What does it look like? Well, we can tell you a little bit about it. We're not going to spill all the beans here because, frankly, that would be no fun. And and probably Warlord would hate us for stealing the thunder. But we're going to talk a little bit about our experiences and how we got here uh, and the things that we ran across as we were doing Blood Red Skies Digital. Um, I'm going to pontificate for a minute and say, how did we get there? Uh, it wasn't 100% due to Tabletop Sim. But what I will say is that the community's absolute love of tabletop sim probably pushed Andy further in the right direction because he's been looking at digital publishers for a while, talking with friends that he knows and people he trusts in the industry. But in March of 2020, when we started doing the Blood Red Skies tabletop simulator piece, uh, Andy let me know. He said, hey, I've been talking to some digital designers. There will be something in the future. Let's make sure that, uh, that we figure out what people want. So as we all kind of kind of rolled into this this creation of Blood Red Skies Digital into the summer of 2020 and things were kind of thrown in our lap, uh, it was interesting. Steve, you'd been a, a huge help to me on the on the Blood Red Skies tabletop sim. Uh, what was it like going from a world where things were unskinned and there were no movement uh, templates that worked uh, from a, a sandbox of tabletop sim uh, into Blood Red Skies Digital? Uh, you know, the biggest thing is it was, it was an adjustment really is the best thing I could say to it is, uh, the, the big thing I guess that I would stress between the two is that, uh, you know, you use the word sandbox when you're talking about, uh, tabletop sim where you need to know the rules. You, you basically need to have played it on, uh, the tabletop miniature version right. to play it in tabletop sim where what Diecast Digital is going for is much more of a gaming experience where they're kind of giving you the whole thing packaged in a, in a gaming sense more than just uh, giving you the tools to play the game. Yeah, and, and I've talked to people because it's been funny. There's there's always people who will come back and go, oh, man, but but I love Tabletop Sim. That was It was so so straightforward, so easy, and I go – you weren't the guy trying to figure out how to keep models from falling over and how, calling Steve in the middle of the night and going, hey, man, can we change the model because it doesn't play well with other models? Uh, <laughs> so so I, I think uh, while Tabletop Sim was an interesting step, and, and there still is some utility there, obviously, if people want to play pick up games or do whatever or import their own models or, or import their own cards, 
there's great utility there, but you got to know what you're doing. It's not like playing a game where you're you're being held inside the rules. You have to know the rules yourself. When you say the word easy, right? Easy is a relative term. So if you know how, if you're proficient in playing the game on the tabletop miniatures version and you know what you're doing and you have a group of people that you play with all the time, then yes, it's very easy to yeah. play tabletop sim, right? <laughs> it's super intuitive because it's the same thing you're already having to do. Know the rules, <laughs> know how to move your, your miniatures. You just learn a new interface. Well, Brett, you had played a lot of campaign games in tabletop sim with Steve, and you guys had, had done a lot of different uh, expansion kind of work to tabletop sim, some that could be released, some that couldn't, you know, depending on what Warlord allowed us to do. But what was your first feeling uh, opening up the the Blood Red Skies digital and and seeing painted Wildcats, painted Zeros uh, over Midway Island. For me, I, and I think I said this to Ash early on, it, it seemed to me like all the things you want in your Blood Red Skies games, it was sort of like you do the great artwork and the cool pew-pew noises and the card prompts and all these other things that kind of help you play the game. If you're comparing... I wanted to respond in more detail to somebody on Ready Room, Ready Room who suggested, oh, this looks to me like it's going to be just like Tabletop Simulator. I wanted to kind of dig into that and respond, but I wasn't sure, you know, what was appropriate to say right now since we're just dealing with this, you know, pre-release beta or whatever. But it's so much better than that. It's movable like that where you can play the game and you can move your own pieces, but there's so much more to the interface and so much more to just the, the visual part of it. I think folks are going to be pretty excited. It's, it's a well, big and step And I think up. that was, that was part of the, the thing that I loved the most was the enhanced visuals. Cause I felt bad that when we released tabletop sim, blood red skies, uh, it had simply painted, you know, one color 3d models. But let me tell you guys, I suck as a photographer. I suck even worse as someone skinning 3d models. So you didn't want me to try to paint those models. Uh, so, and, and it comes down to hours in the day, some tabletop sim mod hobbyists have a lot of time. I'm juggling a lot of different balls, keeping a lot of plates spinning. Uh, I just didn't have time to skin those things or to find somebody who could. So, you know, I I think as soon as when I opened up the game and I'm like, wow, these these things actually look like airplanes. They don't look like little models on a stick. <laughs> I think that was was part of the fun uh, that that at least I've experienced. And I laugh. I'm a sucker for the little pew pew noises. Um, I I had a discussion in the Aerial War Games Facebook group about that. Not many people pitched in, but. I was trying to ask people what what really matters when you go to a game like that and why do you play, especially solo, on the computer against an AI, a game that you could break out and you could play it against yourself if you wanted to. I was I was playing the uh, wonderful 1970s sci-fi game Ogre. And sure, I could play a game about big cybernetic tanks against myself and you know push the counters around. But it was actually fun to have the little animations when things get shot and pew-pew noises and things exploding. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 makes it a little bit more fun. And it's also, I found it nice to to play against an AI, whether it's a very difficult AI or a very basic AI, just because at some point you're like, I don't want to think about what the next move is. I want to do something, I want to react, I want to play the game. So that was that was a lot of uh a lot of the fun part for me. That that's a really good point. That's something I think folks are gonna get out of this, even at the most basic level, right? The single player version, uh that you could just pick up and play. And I think I would tend to do that a lot just to almost like practice games, like just go through a lot of iterations to try different things and just kind of explore the game in that way. That's something you really can't do on Tabletop Simulator 
you know, because you're not right. you're playing, you're still playing against yourself. Well, and that was the fun thing with playing Wildcats versus Zeros was there was some discussion in there that we've had in the ready room a number of times about how to single trait aircraft play. And it's, you know, it's just kind of interesting to go out there and see really what the effect of the robust card is and, and to see it over multiple iterations that if you tried to sit there with your buddy and play through that many games, the other guy's probably gonna be like, yeah, I'm tired. I don't want to play that anymore. And it's, it was fun to be able to jump into, even in this prototype, a game where you had a, a semi-random start, you know, advantage levels might've been, uh, might've been the, the big difference. And then you, you obviously had some fairly fixed pilot skills in what we were playing. But it was fun. You know, you got to try out different things. And for me, it was it was interesting to, to try out different maneuvering and different you know tactics to to move multiple aircraft uh, into a position where they could tail or shoot down the other aircraft uh, that are out there. So along that line, I thought it was pretty cool a couple times where, you know, because you start kind of at the same spot just because it's this you know, this prototype, right? So you're always starting in the same state. So I would like make the same move and the computer would make the same move. And then I would make the same second move and the computer would make the same second move. And then I'd kind of go, oh, I'm going to change my third move and see what the computer's response to the third move is. Almost like, yeah. <laughs> you know, you were like playing that learning game with the computers. I felt kind of like Matthew Broderick at the end of War Games where he's playing tic-tac-toe and trying to teach the computer that, you know, yeah. Yeah, you, it was just, it was I did really that a fun. couple of times because that was fun. And, and you know, people are going to ask, they're going to be like, well, what do you guys mean by pre-alpha prototype? You know, we, we've seen some screenshots. It looks pretty cool. Well, graphical splash aside, uh, this game is to Blood Red Skies Digital kind of like the X-35 is to the F-35. They may have looked a lot alike, and they may have been manufactured by the same company, and they may have had the, the end state goals to be the same, you aren't going to shoot an A120 AMRAM out of an X-35. They weren't dropping, you know, GPS and laser-guided bombs out of an X-35. Its flight envelope wasn't as big as an F-35. So, yeah, it was a prototype. It it was a technology demonstrator. It proved that something could be done. And I think that's really what the prototype we've been working with and, and that I was even playing today. I think, Brett, you you might have hopped in there to take a look at it. Uh, but it... Uh, it's one of those things that proves that, yes, these game rules can be adapted to a computer. We can get an AI to figure out these game rules uh, and play roughly inside the, the structure of it. Uh, and then, you know, we can, we can add on layers of Chrome and other rules on top of that to make uh, a more expansive and a more fun game. Which really kind of brings me into the, the question a couple people have asked of, why Kickstarter? Why doesn't Warlord just fund this? Why, why are they doing a Kickstarter? This doesn't make sense to me. Holy crap, I didn't realize how expensive game design digitally was until I got into this project. <laughs> I don't know about either of you guys, but uh, I, I'm kind of used to video games growing on trees, and that's not how it is, is it? No, Ash has been talking some big numbers in terms of what it costs to get this thing off the ground. So it makes sense to me that Kickstarter would be the way to go. And I understand that that's not terribly uncommon in this sliver of the industry, right? Yeah, so so it's interesting with a small team like Diecast Digital and a very resourceful, reactive management that is willing to go out there and, and fix things and and, and change uh, priorities and and be able to react quickly to input. Um, it's not cheap, and it's a it's kind of a a model that works well if you can get over those hurdles to get into uh, what it takes to fund those people to be on the team. Uh, and there's a lot of games that we've all seen out there for Kickstarters for physical games. Uh, for digital games, it's been an interesting uh, 
I guess I'd say an interesting series of pitfalls over the last couple of years. There's been some that have done great via Kickstarter. And then there's some that people have pitched in a Kickstarter. The digital game either gets rushed out by the game publisher or um, just doesn't deliver what people thought it was going to get. But the nice thing from talking to Ash and his team over at Diecast Digital is they understand the game. The The funny part is Ash is a gamer like the rest of us. You know, we're, we're all sitting there and... You know, he's showing us his models, uh, you know, from 40K and from, you know, Aeronautical Imperialis. And, you know, we're talking about Advanced Squad Leader and, and things like that that we all grew up playing uh, and have played. But uh, he's definitely one of us in that sense, which which makes me feel good about the development of it, especially via Kickstarter, where you get to the point where you say, hey, community, what do you want? Fund what you want uh, and we'll make it happen and we'll see it through. Yeah, which I think is the real plus with Kickstarter, right, is... Uh it really gives the community like a real chance to kind of illustrate what's important to them and then pledge accordingly. And then it allows the developer to kind of put their resources in the spot that the community has told them is important. So I think it's a really good chance for that to kind of work both ways for everybody. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about it a little bit here in a second, but there is a lot of flexibility in Kickstarter as you go along. Now we'll see how they actually run the Kickstarter are we privy to everything? Absolutely not. I mean, hey, there's things that Andy and Warlord Games and Diecast Digital are going to do that they're not going to tell us. Um, they've been kind enough to allow us to play the prototype. They've been kind enough to ask our input on things. Uh, but like all things gaming, Lead Pursuit's input may not be worth 50 cents and a cup of coffee. So, so we'll see where all that goes. Uh, I know we had talked about uh, pledge levels initially, and that's always the first thing you you discuss with the Kickstarter. Is wow, what what levels are people going to get at? What are those those rewards going to be? What do gamers want? And I think that loops us almost back to the first question of why Kickstarter, uh, because we know the Blood Red Skies community is not huge. We know there's a lot of players out there, but it's not like 40k. It's not like Flames of War. Uh, so when you talk about a digital game, you you start talking about pledge levels and things that people who don't necessarily play Blood Red Skies in its physical form are going to care about. Um, so I know that was there was a lot of time spent going back and forth over emails with that. But I think what from what I've seen recently, there's, there's a lot more pledge levels than we even saw on the proposal. So hopefully there will be ways to offer rewards to digital-only gamers and offer rewards to gamers that are pitching into the digital but really play Blood Red Skies, the physical game. Uh, and, and kind of attract a wider audience. Because once again, that's the goal. I mean, it's, if we got every Blood Red Skies player in the world to pitch in, we probably still wouldn't get the amount of money that, that is needed to get to some of the cool things uh, that will require a lot of hours of coding. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say here in this forum, but uh, some of the potential where this thing can go based on pledge levels, I mean, some really exciting potential expansions or directions that the game could go, I think, based on interest, you know, that's yeah. exciting to me. Well, and that's the thing people have to realize is that coding costs money. It isn't free to have somebody sit behind a machine and, and this prototype that we've played is by no means done. There is, they've done a lot of AI work recently, so, but there's a lot of hours of, of programming the AI. And every time you add a new airplane or a new trait or a new theater or doctrine card, you got to tweak the AI to really understand it. Uh, so there's, always work there. And then just the rote monotony of bringing in cool maps, making them look good at all resolutions in the game, bringing in aircraft models, skinning them. 
that also takes money, unfortunately. I wish I wish you could just drop models in at high resolution and have them auto-painted, but um, the AI isn't that good. Uh, so so there's it's going to cost money to get to some of those cool features, and especially things that require a lot of back-end coding, uh, whether it be really cool multiplayer features, uh, campaign features, branching storylines, any one of those things. Oh, my gosh, those... Those take hours of coding, and that unfortunately takes money. So that's that's why you have a lot of different pledge levels to attract a lot of people from different backgrounds, and different gaming uh, goals. And then also, it's that speaking of goals, it takes you right into the stretch goals. You know, if stretch goals aren't things the community wants, then that becomes you know a self-licking ice cream cone. That's great that you say it'll. You need you know another ten thousand dollars to get one more you know one new scenario in there, but it's not going to help if nobody wants that scenario. So that's kind of why we've said it a couple times. I know Brett and Steve are probably tired of me saying it, but every time somebody asks about what's going to be in the game, I remind people, this is your time for input. You know, give Warlord Games your feedback. Tell them what you want a digital Blood Red Skies to be, because that's really going to be reflected in the stretch goals. And if you want it to be every faction of any possible Hold War II faction represented in Blood Red Skies Digital, then tell them that. Um, understand that that will probably mean you only get a couple aircraft per per faction. If you say, hey, really concentrate on the Pacific, uh, and that's what you want Warlord to do, then you'll get a lot of different aircraft types, um, but you will end up with a Pacific-only game. And so it's, it's going to be a little bit of compromise there. Uh, you could say, hey, Pacific's great, but I really want a Battle of Britain starter set again. Uh, and Andy's going to laugh at you and go, thanks, I already made the decision to tie this to the Midway starter set. <laughs> so I know there's been a little bit of discussion there about why release a digital Midway starter set and a physical Midway starter set at about the same time. You know, Steve, what are your thoughts on that? Pacific is is a theater that I feel like every, everybody really likes. Uh, I'm not sure why, but I just feel like Pacific, man, everybody is just really excited for it. It's so all Black Sheep Squadron. Bl- yeah. Blame back Black Sheep Squadron. It's all their fault. <laughs> no, I, I, I guess it's just, it's just something about it that uh, the aerial war in the Pacific, people just uh, are drawn to it, you know, and not taking anything away from the Battle of Britain or, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, I, I don't have an answer for it. There's something about it. <laughs> Brett, what are your thoughts on on tying the two starter sets a little bit together? One physical with resin and all these cool things we've seen and heard about, and the other one being a digital, in a sense, starter set, but but something much larger than just a limited uh, few model release. Yeah, I think it's exciting that this could time nicely with the release of the new starter set, the physical starter set. To have a digital complement to that is cool. The thing that intrigues me even beyond that is, you know, kind of mentioned like potential. I wonder if, you know, someday this could have the kind of success that could lead it to be the platform that maybe somebody like Steve and I would use to do our campaign games uh, versus using uh, TTS. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the interesting part is there's been so much discussion about campaign games recently between the digital team, you know, us on the lead pursuit team, uh, inside the ready room as people start doing those games. I think everybody understands people want to play a meaningful storyline campaign. The difficulty is people use so many different engines and ways of doing it, uh, whether you're using like the Battle of Britain games or Luftwaffe the game, you know, various games out there that, that model it all, um, or you're 
have a campaign system like uh, you and Steve are working on, or even the the fairly straightforward one that Andy started with uh, and then expounded upon with with a variety of aircraft and things. So it's it's kind of funny. I think everybody realizes there's a use for the or there's a desire for the campaign. Um, the question is how much money and how much time are people willing to throw at it? <laughs> so so campaigns may be fairly linear. They may be somewhat branching. Um, but but I'm going to digress there for a minute because it's kind of funny to me to see how other games have done campaigns and how they sell them. So some of them do really linear mirrored campaigns using the same maps and changing the models around in the video game world. Uh, and they call it like 170 different missions. I'm like, no, no, really? This game is about 30 missions done over a bunch of different factions. <laughs> So it's uh, that's something that, that I don't think we're going to have that problem in Blood Red Skies Digital. I, I would even need you know really campaign stuff built into the game. I would just need the ability to you know play different maps, if you will, and different aircraft, and the ability to build squadrons in each of those theaters. And just like how Steve and I do Tabletop Simulator, we have the book for our campaign, and we do our own bookkeeping, but we need a a place to move airplanes around, man, to be able to do that potentially, uh, with this, uh, platform, if you will, with, with the cool skins and the great graphics and the cool sound effects and the card prompting. And, you know, I mean, a lot would have to change. I mean, you have to have some additional stuff than a skirmish game, but man, if that, that kind of potential really excites me that it, it could be that way with enough, uh, backing and support. Oh, yeah. That's what people with- want. With enough backing, and I, and I think that also comes down to it, is that people have to realize if you want these more complex game modes in the game, not not you using your campaign plan outside of the game, but if you want it in the game, then that's something that is that really does cost a lot of money. So it's 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 kind of interesting to me. I I'm hopeful that we'll get to that point. I'm also a realist, and I realize the Blood Red Skies and aerial wargaming, and you know people interested in another World War II <laughs> video game. Uh, that is turn-based, that's not real-time strategy, maybe smaller than what we want. But hopefully, uh, with the Kickstarter and with the stretch goals and the pledge levels that are out there, we'll we'll get this number of backers for Diecast Digital and Warlord that really take them to to a a, a very usable level. And I, and I don't mean to, to minimize the work that's been done as something that's not usable. Oh, it's usable. The real question is how flexible will it be? Because obviously it's really easy to code fixed numbers of aircraft, you know, fixed or interchangeable pilot skill levels. But it's really hard to give somebody a a full and open sandbox that also complies with all of the game rules, uh, which is which is where I know there's been uh, a lot of discussion on the on the game dev side. So let's talk about a couple other things. Uh, You know, the 700 pound gorilla in the room. What's the price point? I don't know. We don't know. We can guess, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think the joke of it all is, Steve, what would you pay for the full blood red skies? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's a tough question, right? Because if, if some of the stuff we've seen with all the cool features, man, I would have no problem paying like full on. You know, seventy dollar Xbox. I, I know, I'm I'm the same I mean, way. I, 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 laugh. I look at some of the stuff they talk about. I'm like, man, just take my money. Well, you know, I've paid more for games I've played fewer hours than this prototype, and maybe maybe that says something sad about me and Blood Red Skies. Agreed. 
Oh, that's exactly right. I'm glad you guys said that because I was wondering if I was crazy. You know, the, the last time we got to go to Adepticon, I dropped a hundred bucks and happily so on a Kickstarter for uh, this interesting miniature, I don't know, it was like sailing ships game. And I was excited to get it. Months later, it arrived. Maybe a year later, I got it. I don't even think I've taken a cellophane off that box. Now, fa- fast forward, <laughs> nice. it, and I'm not—you know—I don't have regrets either. I mean, I was happy to get that thing. I was really excited. I just, you know, just, you know, I, it's you were like too I, busy painting he one elevens. Exactly. <laughs> well, so, so now, so now, fast forward. Here I am playing Blood Red Skies, right? And I have friends who play Blood Red Skies, and we talk about Blood Red Skies all the time. And somebody's offering me all this stuff. I'm thinking. Man, a hundred bucks doesn't seem like a big deal at all for this. Something that you know, it's not going to yeah. stay in a wrapper. Let's put it that so, way. So I laugh about that because you know, and I was going out playing some other aerial war games on Steam, and and guys were laughing. They're like, "Oh man, I don't know. Do you you're going to go buy a copy of it?" I'm like, "Yes, I'm going to go buy a copy of it because it's on Steam. Things on Steam are not crazy expensive. Well, unless you're buying something from the Civilization uh, <laughs> line of games with all of its DLC. But you know, the funny thing is, I I. The more I thought about it, I'm like, man, stupid me has paid way, way more money for games that I've played less. Um, but that that also is me. That's not the rest of the Blood Red Skies community. That's not the that's not the people you want to pitch into the Kickstarter. If I were to hazard a guess, um, and I'll couch this in, this is totally a guess. I'm gonna probably take a stab that the the Intro level of the Kickstarter is going to be somewhere between twenty, maybe twenty five dollars. Probably not even that high. Probably just be around twenty. And oh, by the way, there's going to be a lot of that that I, I do know they're going to allow beta access on. So they they want a fairly constrained alpha, which is understandable. Um, you you don't need ten thousand people giving you their their opinions in the alpha of something. But they're really going to open up the beta from everything that the diecast digital team and Ash has said. And so um, I, I think there's there's great potential there for people to get something cool for a cheap price, and then it might actually be something with a lot of value <laughs> when uh, when we get through all the Kickstarter uh, you know, stretch goals and, and everything, and, and it has a lot more expansions to it. I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback on what Brett said. If if I would have pledged a hundred dollars for the potential to get what it could be. And they would have delivered me the pre-alpha prototype that I'm playing right now. I'd probably still be like, eh, it was a hundred bucks, but I wouldn't be all that <laughs> upset about it. I mean, it's yeah. so, it's cool looking, right? I mean, it just looks cool. And like Brett said, the poo poo noises. I mean, it, it, the potential where this could go, I think is something that really, there's a lot to be optimistic and hopeful about. The good news, ladies and gentlemen, is if the only people to pledge are the three lead pursuit guys that are on right now, you'll get the pre-alpha prototype. <laughs> so yeah, I agree. I, I I had to laugh because I, maybe my my Kickstarter expectations and my uh, prototype expectations, all these things are so low that um, that you know I sit there and I go, man, for for what I think they're gonna you know, put it this game on Kickstarter. I, I think it's going to work out well. And, and I say that, you know, I love the guys over at DVG, but, you know, I think I just spent, oh gosh, I don't even remember how much I spent on all the expansions that already need, you know, an errata to them. And there's cards that are printed wrong and there's there's point values that are wrong and things. And so I'm like, 
shit, man, I just spent probably 80 bucks on game expansions, which I now have to somehow figure out how to, you know, cut and paste and, and fix them. I don't have the problem with digital games. They get patched. So <laughs> so I think that, that we're going to be uh, be well ahead there. So so something that I do need to address, though, is, is I mentioned DLC for other games. Um, I will let the Warlord and Diecast teams really roll out their plan, but I don't expect there to be true extra DLC. I think from what it sounds like the plan is that the the goal is to get as many backers as possible to drive this game to a level of of cool things we can release and that we can fund people to build for the game. Um, and then from there, it's it's a separate project. It's does a big publisher step in and pick it up? Is it a uh, the, the kind of game where you say, okay, we released it last year. Um, if everybody wants Theater X, if everybody wants the Mediterranean, um, that's a Kickstarter that's got a certain threshold that's you have to get to fund it. Or if you say, hey, we want Stalingrad and we want Stalingrad with all the airplanes, um, that's great. That's a Kickstarter with this much money that we need. Uh, and I think there's there's good and bad to that. It's it's good in that it focuses what the Kickstarter is about, um, but it's bad because now you have to kind of wait a year and then go back to everybody and go, okay, hey, you bought it on the original game. We have a big expansion coming. Let's let's put our hands back in our pockets and see what pocket changes there. <laughs> and so you know you're not going to get near as much uh, backing, but it's, it is still a capability to do that. So we'll see. Baby bird me through what the Kickstarter for this might look like. So I'm guessing like... Maybe in the next month they're going to make a, re- a really or an announcement that says, "Here's our Kickstarter, and there'll be levels. And if you pledge a certain amount, you get that item, that whatever that, whatever right. they say." So, if- so that's that's the long and the short of it is, you know, somewhere around, and I'll say the 20th of February, even if I'm getting out over my skis, uh, there will be a Kickstarter that will drop, and it will run for about a month, and you'll have a chance to to jump in and to pledge in and. If, uh, you know, there will be a variety of pledge levels that that at the end of the day get the same digital game. But the fact is, as more and more people pledge and the dollar value of those combined pledges goes up, then those stretch goals open up. So let's say, and I'm going to make up numbers here. So this is, this is not real. This is not what um, Ash and his team have put out there. But let's say the first stretch goal is at $5,000 and it's a picture of Steve as a wildcat ace, (laughs) you know, as soon as $5,000 are pledged, that gets unlocked and that's delivered to everybody who gets the game. Uh, And then let's say the next level is $10,000. And that's a, uh, you know, that's a, you know, an F4F wildcat painted up in Doug's favorite colors. Uh, The reason I'm saying this is because these, the goals are going to be things that the community asks for. So if the only people asking is lead pursuit, um, enjoy flying your lead pursuit themed airplanes with, uh, you know, hero pictures of all of us. <laughs> um, but but the point is, as you hit each of those stretch goals, you know, for people who are not familiar with Kickstarter, um, each one of those will unlock more content. So maybe maybe the content is a map. Maybe the content is some airplanes. Maybe the content is an ace. Uh, maybe the content is just more theater and doctrine cards tied to a, a specific uh, theater of war or specific uh, series of, of campaigns. And some of it will also be tied to game modes. 
things that require more coding, more testing, more, uh, more behind-the-scenes work, those game modes may be tied to a stretch level. So if you say, hmm, I want to play six players over Malta, a uh, totally configurable scenario with every faction, that might be like the last pledge level of the game. Probably not going to be in there at all. But if it was, it would be like the last pledge level of the game because that would take a lot of coding. So as you, as you step through each of those, the community funds more, more things open up. Now, I guess this brings me back to the Kickstarter piece. So I'll tell you a little bit from my own experience and from, from being the lead pursuit guy pitching into uh, Kickstarters, like Zero Leader is a great example. Um, I didn't pitch in early. Because I knew it was going to be popular. I knew people were going to go out there and, and I wanted to see where people were going to drive the game up to. And it went through some pretty straightforward early on stretch goals. Um, then, as happens sometimes with Kickstarter, people exhausted all the stretch goals. They're like, oh, crap, we got to think of some more stuff real quick. <laughs> so so some more stretch goals went out there to keep driving uh, the community's funding going up. Uh, and then when they kind of hit some milestones is when... I, as the guy who was the kind of the lead pursuit funding, uh, chose to pitch in. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the guy that pushes it over this goal. Not that that matters. Not that that with 50 cents gets you a cup of coffee. Not that someone's going to write that on my you know, tombstone. This guy got us over the $60,000 limit. But because it was cool to me because I could click on that and say, yep, I got you guys over that limit. Um, good luck. Keep uh, keep plugging with it. So. I think there's there's going to be some people that'll wait a while. There's some people that will pitch in immediately when they see um, what uh, what what different pledge levels are open and the cool things you can get. I mean, yes, you probably can get an autographed photo of Brett in his Ranger panties, but uh, but we'll see how that all shakes out. So, anything else you guys want to kind of throw out there about the 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 prototype that you've seen without going too much in the details? Because I'll I'll be 100 percent honest. We really want Warlord and Diecast to roll out the story of the game and how it, how it plays and how it works. Uh, they've got a, a good social media plan for that, so we're going to play into that. Um, but anything else uh, you want to share, share there, Steve? Uh, no, you know, I think think we covered it pretty good. I just uh, can't stress enough, man. It's it's going to be fun. I really hope it gets to some of these goals. I think it's I think it's going to be a really really neat product. Brett, besides seeing the Do three three five and. Butterhead Sky's digital. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I want. Uh, well, we talked a little bit about some of my, you know, I guess, wishes for it to, you know, it'd be awesome if it could go to the point where, you know, we could play our campaign games. Steve and I could play our campaign games uh, just by throwing whatever planes and whatever theater we want and do our thing. Uh, it could have that potential, you know, that's exciting. And even at the most modest level of, you know, like a skirmish game, between uh, two opponents with six planes each, it's pretty fun. And uh, I think even beyond just um, single player, to be able to do multiplayer like that, it it, it would just be a good time. It's 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 shiny. It's cool. Uh, I think the mechanics, the way the things work, how you move aircraft around and all those important things to you, you'll be satisfied once you uh, uh, try it a few times. I think, it, I think they put a lot of effort and, and like you said, Ash understands the game. So it's, if you've ever played one of those games where it's like, who the heck made this? The people don't play the game. They don't understand. That's not the case here. It's pretty clear the way the mechanics work, the way it's served up. A lot of thought has gone into making it true to what we play on an actual tabletop. 
Absolutely. And I think that's probably what I enjoy most about it is that it feels like Blood Red Skies. It doesn't feel like something where I have to think about it being Blood Red Skies. Uh, so that, that to me says, speaks volumes for the developers, for Ash and his team at Diecast Digital, uh, and the fact that they actually you know, care about the gaming experience first uh, and all the cool chrome and all the pew-pew noises and, <laughs> and uh, lighting effects across the water and all the stuff that, that really is fun and makes a game, I don't want to necessarily say immersive because it's still a board game, but it, but it makes it feel like something different than just staring at the, the Malta map or at a sea uh, map from Diecast or from uh, Deep Cut Studios. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice to, to have all those cool video game-ish things uh, underneath it. Um, so we're going to take a break real quick. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the future of tabletop sim and what does that mean for Blood Race Guys. And we're back. So let's talk a little bit about the other Blood Red Skies digital game, Tabletop Sim. Now, I bring this up because over the next few podcast episodes, don't worry, not every episode is going to be about digital, but over the next few podcast episodes, we're going to talk about some other digital aerial war games. Uh, and why is that? Well, it's to compare what other people have done and to say, here's how other people cracked the nut and to let Warlord Games and Diecast Digital defend their product and say, this is how we're different. Um, so, Tabletop Sim, uh, Steve, do you remember how much you paid for that? Uh, $19.99 on sale or something <laughs> exactly. like that, probably. Brett, Brett you were about, probably about the same, right? Yeah, for some reason, 20 or 25 bucks sticks in my head. Yeah, so, so I laugh. I paid 20 bucks for something where I had to bring my own rules. Now, um, unfortunately for Blood Red Skies, not only did I have to bring my own rules, but I had to work with everybody else between Steve and Roz and Roger and Brett <laughs> and a lot of the people that helped uh, to actually build Blood Red Skies into there. And it and it still required me to know the rules, and I spent 20 bucks on it. Um, but sure, you're right. That that unlocked a lot of other games, a lot of other work that other mods had done. You know, it's uh, like you had to be a programmer. I mean, you, you, it gave oh, you access. Oh, I wouldn't access. go that far. I did not program anything. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. I mean, you had to you had to assemble all the stuff. You you know, it wasn't like all the pieces and parts existed there for you. So you had to you had to grab those from somewhere. And then I know Steve spent I don't know how many hours manipulating the way the the models work yep. so they actually Steve, moved around Steve like Steve is my hero for fixing all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome, but it was a lot of work. It wasn't like turnkey is my point. Right. And to be honest, it was one of those things that that we're all doing as a hobby and I certainly appreciate all the hours that Steve put in when I'd call him and go, "Hey, person X asked for aircraft Y, can we get that custom built in there?" Um, and Steve never said no. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you're the guy that we built the Pacific set for, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> so it's one of those things that uh, that Steve never said no to any one of the, any bit of the work. I was stupid and I would sit there until the cows come home, uh, fiddling with uh, you know tokens and maps and and the community was super super helpful uh, between Tiny Wargaming, Deep Cut Studio, Unipolar, all of them sharing map artwork that we could use. Uh, but at the end of the day, it still was kind of bring your own brain. Uh, you had to understand the rules. So 
So where do we go now? And I bring this up because this is a very delicate discussion that has to be had uh, about tabletop sim and about, uh, I'm going to use two words that people hate to hear these together these days, internet freedoms. Um, but something the community has to understand is not only does Lead Pursuit have to put their effort where it's, it's most useful to the community, uh, Warlord has to put their IP and their artwork and their models and their tokens and all those things where it makes the most sense. Um, is that into Blood Red Sky's tabletop sim? Probably not. Uh, tabletop sim is fun. I've enjoyed it. It's been super useful, especially working through a campaign system. But do I expect Blood Red Skies Digital uh, to impact tabletop sim? Absolutely, I do. Uh, and I don't think there will be, quote, Warlord approved uh, expansions for tabletop sim. And that shouldn't bother any of you because you should all have the cards that you can scan and put into tabletop sim for you and your buddies. And the models are all out there. <laughs> it it took a, a Marine with, like, no internet skills about five minutes to find them all in Tabletop Sim. Uh, those things are out there. Is it going to – are we ever going to have a polished version of TTS that looks like BRS Digital Edition? No, we're not. And and the, the point is Warlord would never support that, and they shouldn't. So uh, am I telling you that Blood Red Skies Tabletop Sim is dead? No. Uh, I intend to make sure that things still work and that, that – as we can put things out there, and Warlord will allow us to, we do. Um, but understand, if you've got one system that's a sandbox versus another that's actually the game built in, uh, Warlord's going to back the game, and they're going to put their IP into the game that that truly is Blood Red Skies, not a sandbox where you have to bring your Blood Red Skies brain to. Steve, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I think the one thing that's really important is when the whole tabletop sim thing started, it was kind of like, hey, this is a substitute to us being able to game during every this craziness that's going on in the world, right? And Absolutely. I feel like yeah, it's yeah. still going to work very well as that, where the game is much more of a game. Log into a server, find a friend to play, go on and play the computer. This would still, Tabletop Sims still is going to work very well if, hey, I want to test out a tournament list that I'm going to be taking against my friend. Uh, hey, we want to run an online gathering of eagles and do a tournament where everybody can make their own list and bring it. Or, you know, oh, yeah, we're working yeah. on a new rule set. Let's hop into Tabletop Sim and check this rule set. Well, the, I, the example I would use is Check Your Six. Now, I know there were there were technical issues and there were glitches with that game, but none of the Check Your Six organizations that I know say, hey, we're going to jump on the server and we're going to play this Check Your Six game uh, with the old code for Check Your Six. They say, hey, we're going to jump on Roll20, and we're going to play a Check Your Six game on Roll20, uh, because it gives them the freedom to configure everything and to, to add in new airplanes and new targets and, and things that weren't, weren't hard-coded into the Check Your Six video game. So there's always you're right, there's always going to be a need for that. Um, and I think that, I guess, part of my frustration dealing with Tabletop Sim has been uh, I never intended to be the dude who developed tabletop sim blood red skies and and managed it and did everything else um i really kind of wanted to be the person who was the spark for it and said hey man i i did the legwork i talked to warlord i got us the the blood red skies you know the starter set the battle of britain starter set um all the rest of you <laughs> import your stuff offer your own mods uh, and and do that to expand the game like it's been done for a lot of other games, whether it be 40K 
whether it be bolt action, there's a lot of those other games out there that have a lot of user created content and it doesn't come from one spot. You go out, you find the models you want, you find the data you want, uh, and you bring that to the game. So that's kind of my pitch about tabletop. Yeah. I think, I think having them coexist, there's a spot for both of them and it's just a different, a different place and a different use for, for both systems. Yeah. And, And it's been said, if, if, the digital edition version of Blood Red Skies, visually and gameplay-wise, does not smoke tabletop sim Blood Red Skies, then pretty much Ash and his team at Diecast Digital have failed horribly. <laughs> so it's one of those things. You have to you have to understand the niche that each of those software pieces fills um, and understand why they're there and understand the level of support that, that publishers are going to give them. So I kind of bring that up because having talked about, you know, tabletop sim bolt action, um, bolt action players may ask me, well, why should I back Digital Blood Red Skies? Well, because you're proving to Warlord Games that you care about their line of games. And you're proving that, hey, you know what? Rather than having to go out and buy the starter set, I'm going to back this Kickstarter. We're going to see where digital Warlord Games goes Uh, because I'll, I'll be honest, there could someday be in the wings a digital bolt action. Uh, is that probably going to happen anytime soon? Probably not. But if Blood Red Skies takes off digitally, then there will be people around Warlord Games asking, well, why isn't bolt action in there? Why isn't Victory at Sea in there? Why, why haven't we done digital games You know, of these other miniatures-based games? I've already seen posts on Red Room saying, hey, where's uh, this for... Cruel Seas, so there's interest. Yeah, yeah. Cruel Seas would be a, a very straightforward one. And and Cruel Seas is a lot like Blood of Red Skies in the sense that you have a small demographic in the big Warlord Games demographic. You're right. We're not Pike and Shot. We're not uh, you know, Bolt Action. Uh, but the fact is that group of people says, well, if if you can make me a game and, and I can – and the community as a whole, the Warlord Games community can get us over this hurdle. Um, heck, even as a – as a Blood Red Skies player, if the shoe was on the other foot, I'd love to spend 20 bucks and play digital bolt action. <laughs> Would I play it a lot? I don't know. I, you know, I used to play uh, SSI close combat games years ago and all those. So, uh, so I probably could be suckered into that. I was actually just, just going to say that same thing. I, uh, bolt action really interests me. I don't have the time to throw another hobby on the workbench and paint a bolt action army <laughs> exactly. and learn, re, sit down and read a rule book. But if I could get a bolt action game that I could click on an army, throw it in, the rules are all built into the game, and I could just go start clicking on stuff and playing bolt action, I would be on it in a second. And I guarantee you that would springboard me into like a month down the road. I'd drop two or 3,000 bucks and I'd have well, like the entire, That is exactly what I was going to say. So so the- it would both be wonderful because I'd be like, ah, oh, I'm going to play Bolt Action online. I would play Gates of Antares online. This is great. I always wanted to see what these, these factions were like. And then I know where that leads. And it's a very dark, dark place <laughs> that it, I spend money. <laughs> that's a really good point because it seems to me the Warlord's vision for um, Cruel Seas, Blood Red Skies, and Bolt Action is that they – could work together on the tabletop you know you could interact with all three games in some some way well that might be a you know, like I, like steve said i, I don't want to that's there's a barrier to entry to me right i i'm pretty happy where i'm at with my little airplanes right and i like the world war ii stuff but 
that seems like a whole new thing to learn and a whole bunch of models to paint and all that stuff that I'm, it's just, I'm resistant to that. But if I could kind of explore it digitally, who knows what would happen? You know, who knows what, where that would, <laughs> no, we where that do rabbit know hole what would, would go. happen. That's the problem. But yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. But we know, we know that exactly involve us buying would armies that, that would, that we'd never paint. Well, I but, have you know, to, I have to believe that there's bolt action people that feel the same way. They've got their, their thing going. They've got it. They're satisfied with this immense oh, bolt action army. There absolutely are. Because yeah. if you ask the guys over at Snafu Podcast, you ask the guys anything but one uh, podcast, you ask those guys, and they're like, yeah, I dabble in Blood Red Skies. It's fun, whatever. You know, I, I don't, I always borrow someone else's airplanes. Or, hey, this guy in our bolt action group, he also has Blood Red Skies. So we always use his airplanes, you know. And I think if people suddenly said, oh, wow, I could play the game and I could play it, you know, on a computer and not have to invest in any models then I think that's a cool thing for the other associated Warlord gamers to get in on. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of games like that that if I could play it in a digital version, I'd probably have to like buy Dude, a second it's, it's story. It's the story of me and 40K. Why do I keep getting back into 40K? Oh, because good, cool video games keep coming out. And, and I'm like, oh, that would be so cool. And yes, damn it, I go buy models because of it. So yes, I'm an idiot. We know that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the other interesting part about having a game or a video game for one of the games in the Cruel Seas, Victory at Sea, Bolt Action, Blood Red Skies continuum is if you did want to play combined games and your digital game allowed those scenarios to be played, then it's really easy to be playing a Bolt Action game and to play the frontline scenario from Blood Red Skies where you're actually – playing those aircraft fighting through, getting into the bolt action game. Okay, now we're going to keep playing with our regular bolt action game because we clicked through on the video game pretty quick. And all of a sudden, you don't need a whole other table. You don't need more miniatures. You don't need all this excess stuff uh, just to figure out how many of your Spitfires fought their way through into the target area. Man, now it's kind of like now my my brain's really going you know it's like man imagine if it was just this big like massively multiplayer bolt action warlord yeah. <laughs> you know world of warcraft world of warlord online universe you just hop on and play games oh man wouldn't great. that be wonderful that'd be awesome i would i would i would never paint anything ever again no uh and and let me be 100% honest i mean nothing says we we won't see that one of these years uh the question is when will a really big publishing house pick it up? When will the you know will it be the Blood Red Skies license? Will it be the Bolt Action license? What what has a community big enough to trip people over to do that? Um, and, and I think it's awesome that Blood Red Skies might be the first step in that direction. Of course, that being said, uh, there is also a propensity for this to be just a one-off game. So, <laughs> not that any of us are, are are promising a World of Warcraft of World War II Blood Red Skies. Uh, but the fact is, there. if you drag in the other gamers that you play games with, whether they're Check Your Six gamers, whether they're Bolt Action gamers, the more you get those people involved and the more you get them interested in, in pitching into the Kickstarter, the more features we're going to have in the in the overall game. So it's just something you have to understand. Yeah, it's the word that comes to me is companion. You know, if you're a blood, if you're a Bolt Action player, this is a great companion. That, uh, and I think the price point they're talking about. It's not a big barrier to entry. I think a lot of people might be willing to try that out that aren't even like really super into Blood Red Skies. We need to recruit those guys at our game places to come check this out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we've been talking for a while, almost an hour. Uh, 
Guys, it's been great to at least give some of our knowledge of the Blood Red Skies Digital Edition prototype, pre-alpha, not to be called a beta or anything else. Um, Steve, anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Uh, good news from our friends at Mythic Americas. We're going to have our tournament rescheduled that was canceled again because of COVID. So keep an eye out for that here in the uh, late winter, early spring months. Awesome. That's good to hear. I know uh, a couple people that are up in that area have actually logged a couple games. I know Pat put a few things up on the ready room there showing some games that they played. And I think uh, that will be good to get that tournament going. I know it's been it's it's a fitful start uh, dealing with COVID and everything else. Games and events are on again, off again. Siege of Augusta went this last weekend. It was fairly small uh, there. I think there was some Blood Red Skies playing going on there. I didn't hear any battle reports. Um, but I know that, you know, the January uh, tournament games in Florida may or may not happen. Uh, so it'll be good to get uh, the guys at uh, Mythico Studios and Mythic Americas, that whole team up there, to open up their facilities uh, and get a game going. Brett, anything from the land of sunshine that you want to leave us with? No, I just got to, you know, wrap my head around all these, I don't know, developer terms like alpha, pre-release, beta, alpha, whatever. I just know, like, I think what resonated with me, you said it's a demonstration. Uh, Technology demonstrators, what we've messed with. That's a good analogy for Absolutely. me. And uh, I've been pretty pleased with what I've messed with so far. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to be fanboy about it. I'm the, I'm the first person to remind people that Lead Pursuit needs to be an independent media outlet and we're no, we don't work for anybody. But, but I got to say, I was, I was really happy overall as early in the process as we were. Would I have been happy if it was a release game? Absolutely not. Would I have been happy if it was, you know, a beta test that I had some input on? Absolutely. And was I really happy at a uh, pre-release alpha? Oh my gosh, yes. So uh, we will see where it goes. What I'd encourage people to do is, like I said earlier, give Warlord your feedback. Go out there and follow the Blood Red Skies Digital, Digital Edition on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. Follow them wherever you do social media. Give them feedback. Be brutally honest in your feedback. You know, it's funny. Um, Ash and I were talking and, and he said, you know, I haven't had too many negative comments. Uh, and I laughed and I then relayed some negative comments I'd, I'd gotten. And, and we talked through it. And every one of those comments, even if they are negative, even if it's someone saying, I don't know why you would do a video game. I would never waste my time with that. That allows us to chalk somebody up in the category of, okay, there's a person who doesn't want to do it. That that helps us understand the distribution of Blood Red Skies players, bolt action players, video game players, etc. Uh, so give us the feedback. Let that team for Diecast Digital and Warlord know what you want to see in the game. Um, because once again, you leave it up to the Lead Pursuit podcast and you're going to have a lot of a lot of screenshots of Lead Pursuit guys giving you the thumbs up from a cockpit of a uh, Corsair, <laughs> which may not be what you want. Uh, so you, that way you get expansions and you get, uh, get features that you want into the game. Please go out there, like us, subscribe us. Uh, leave us feedback in social media or on the website, and most importantly, go out there and play some games. Yeah, I'm curious what pledge level is the uh, shirtless 
picture of Brett. Right? Yeah, Brett in his ranger panties. I, I don't know. I think to get that, that's probably an early stretch goal because that's that's like throwaway. I mean, you can go out on the internet and find that stuff. That's only available <laughs> at the highest levels when they fully expand the campaign yeah. mode. And I'll be the I'll be the local bombshell, right? <laughs> exactly. The local bombshell card will get played, and there's Brett in his ranger panties. That's a disturbing image. I don't ever need to think about that again. 